This is a Federal News Network podcast. Like the return of D.C. Beltway traffic, the electromagnetic spectrum is getting downright congested. Wireless companies want the Defense Department to share more access to that valuable mid-band spectrum. The National Spectrum Consortium is bringing DOD and industry officials together in a new task group to collaborate on spectrum sharing. For more, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday spoke with the chairman of the NSC task force, Brian Regan. Ultimately, what this is really designed to do is to leverage this really broad and diverse group that exists within the NSC uh, with DoD as a partner to get together to collaborate on sharing solutions specifically targeted the 3.1 to 3.45 gigahertz band. And if anyone's been paying attention to the spectrum world over the last five years, two sort of parallel things that are happening, one or three. One is a massive push for increased access to mid-band spectrum, which is generally somewhere around 2.5 gigahertz to around 4 gigahertz. This is really critical for new 5G technologies. It's relatively high bandwidth. You can get relatively large channels. It travels pretty well through obstacles and over distances, uh, but also has the right amount of uh, signal loss such that you can reuse the spectrum in smaller geographic areas. So really good for 5G kinds of deployments. And the FCC, working with NTIA and, and DOD, has taken some steps over the last few years to free up additional C-band uh, spectrum. C-band is mid-band spectrum for new commercial uses. And DOD, I think, is in the process of looking at the 3.1 to 3.45 gigahertz band as kind of the next part of, of that. So that's one bucket. Bucket two is collaborative effort, I think, starting probably back in 2011 in, in the Obama administration to look at ways to improve sharing between commercial users together and commercial and federal users. There's a limited amount of spectrum. A lot of the needs and use cases are competing for the same limited quantity. And, you know, there's a need to figure out ways to share it instead of just creating exclusive uses for either commercial or federal use. There's been a big push in that. And then the third is, you know, the need for DOD to continue to increase its capability both domestically and abroad in the spectrum space to get access to new 5G technologies and to leverage those to the benefit of warfighters and, and other services domestically as well. Right. And and as you mentioned, there's been this big push to have the military open up some mid-band spectrum. And just last year, the military opened up 3.45 to 3.55, narrower slice than what we're talking about, but it was a pretty big development. At the time, are there specific challenges with 3.1 to 3.45 that you see this group having to kind of take on and, and rectify as you go through this new process? Yeah, I think that the process really starts with understanding the two sides of it. One side is what are the DOD systems and other federal systems ultimately that are in the band today? What are they used for? How critical are those systems? How new are they or how old are they? And how capable are they of sharing spectrum with a commercial user? So that means what is the geographic encumbrance that's required for them to operate? How much frequency is required? What's the amount of time in which they're occupying that space? Second part of it is what's the commercial use case? What's the commercial need, right? I think you, you still have to prove that out and, and really figure out what the actual commercial use case is. I think the, the commercial wireless industry as a whole will consume as much spectrum as available <laughs> as a general matter. So I think you still need to prove out what that future use case looks like. There's a lot of mid-band spectrum that's coming out, obviously. 
And I think you have to talk about what is the combination of this mid-best spectrum that's already been put out both in 3.45 to 3.55, CBRS and C-band, and how this piece of spectrum might ultimately play into that with the total quantum of spectrum that the commercial industry really needs and what are the use cases. And then if it looks like there's compatibility, figure out how you create technologies to share those two things. If there's not compatibility, then you look at, okay, what does it take to move one of these federal systems out of this band? Is it technically feasible? Is it economically feasible? Does it relate, uh, does it ultimately result in an auction that is capable of being successful as the dollar amount sort of reasonable within that context? And is there enough money that would ultimately go to the treasury? I think part of what's happening here is this band is uh, potentially you know, considered in the context of offsetting some government spending as well. But I think that's kind of the first step is, is really scoping out the use cases, the needs, the time, geography, frequency, commercial sides of that as well, where the sharing opportunities exist. And then if sharing is infeasible, what the cost and practicality is of moving a federal system. Right. And, and of course, mapping those different challenges here requires DOD to come to the table. Did you have a strong commitment from, from DOD, uh, from the you know, relevant offices to participate in this task group? Yeah, I think that's the most important part about this is this actually originated with the DOD and in particular with the CIO's office. And I think that's, from my perspective, the, the most meaningful development in this is that, you know, ordinarily the way that these processes work is that it tends to be an administration or Congress saying we need to identify X quantity of frequencies between, you know, Z and Y megahertz. And then DOD and TIA, other federal agencies going off and doing some work, FCC doing some of their own work, and then kind of coming together to figure out what the art of possible uh, really is. And I think that's what happened in 3.45 to 3.55. That's what happened in AWS 3, uh, for example, back in 2011, 2012. Those processes tend to take a lot of time or can take a lot of time. Uh, but they're not always super transparent. It's not always clear exactly like w- what analysis is taking place on the federal side. It's not always clear exactly what the commercial needs and use cases are. And so this is really an initiative to get ahead of that process a little bit, take some time now and get a much more collaborative process in place where the DOD users and use cases are shared in a collaborative way with the commercial users and use cases, and they can combine them in a way in which they can figure out what those opportunities really are. And I think that's really the, the, the most meaningful thing that's happening here is this is a, a DOD initiative, first and foremost, that we're helping facilitate. Are there specific tasks and objectives for this new group that are, are coming up here? Is there anything specifically that you can talk about here in the coming months in terms of activities? Yeah, so we're going to kick this thing off uh, next week, actually. We'll get the group together for the first time, lay out some process steps, and then really through December and January, get the process working in, in full steam. You know, the, the forward-looking thing, I think, is this, it's really an engineering-driven analysis, which I appreciate. I'm not an engineer. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> so my goal is to help set things up and then kind of get out of the way and let the process run itself. But I, you know, I really view it as this really new and helpful way to get DOD and industry together to develop trust between both sides, whether or not this ultimately results in a meaningful exchange of spectrum is kind of secondary at the end of the day. I think it's it's really about building this trust relationship and uh, ultimately, hopefully developing some new t- technology that goes along with it. Brian Regan, chairman of the National Spectrum Consortium's new Spectrum Sharing Task Group, speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. 
Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. Um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own. But he would stop and he would focus on me. And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used 
that you use to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals Organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants 
as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.